This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Charlie Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Pat Schroeder represented Denver in Congress for 24 years, from 1973 to 1997, earning a reputation as a champion of women's rights. And earlier this week, we learned that she passed away from a stroke. So today, I'm speaking with Westward editor Patty Calhoun about how the Congresswoman shaped Denver into what it is today. Today is Wednesday, March 15th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Patty Calhoun, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks so much. So as we record this on Tuesday morning, we learned that Denver's longtime representative in Congress in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, Pat Schroeder, has passed away at the age of 82. For people who are hearing about Pat Schroeder for the first time this week, Patty, who was she? You know, it's amazing to me that people who live in Denver might not know about her because she, I never knew a Denver without Pat Schroeder. She was elected in 72 and just out of the blue, this very, very smart lawyer, but also housewife in Capitol Hill who ran and won and really revolutionized the way women in politics behaved, were thought of, and the power they had. So like you said, she was elected as a Democrat in 1972 in a state here in Colorado where no woman had been elected to Congress. How did she do this? Well, I think she caught on what was changing in Denver, and a lot of other people didn't. You have to remember, 72, it was still a pretty big old boys club here in Colorado. But that was changing with people like Dick Lamb coming along. And Schroeder just got the feel of what was going on in Denver, Colorado, and what women were looking for, what the transplants moving here were looking for, which was progress. And progress not in the sense of big buildings, progress in the sense of thinking about the environment, thinking about family matters, thinking about women's rights. So you kind of mentioned this, but, uh, you know, her political career started in this 70s era of Denver. And I've heard you talk again and again about the good old boys network that really ruled this state and this city at the time. What was she walking into as a politician that was also a mom? Like, what was she up against? Well, as she wrote in her book, what she was up against, not in Denver so much, but in Washington, D.C., what it was like to be the mother basically of toddlers, you know, where you would change the diapers of your children, what you would do on go to work day, the role her husband played as a first husband. You know, he got involved with Margaret Thatcher's husband and they became friends because of what it was like like to be a first husband. The first first husband's. Exactly. But so and just even getting attention in Congress, how people would treat her, especially the older representatives, she went up against a lot. 
And Denver was really changing then. I mean, it was certainly becoming far more progressive. Uh, it was, you know, the, it became certainly the place in the Rocky Mountains where gay people congregated, where people interested in women's rights congregated. There were the, all the issues of domestic violence that were coming to the forefront of equal pay, equal rights. And Pat Schroeder and, and women in the service. I mean, Pat Schroeder really took the lead on so much of that nationally. But what we have to remember here is she also knew how to serve people. Mm. Her office in Denver was legendary for how it helped people. Uh, and a lot of those people just had a reunion a, a couple of months ago, Pat Schroeder's original staffers, and she wasn't well enough to come. But just how they speak about how they felt about their constituents and what she would do to help people. And every year when we put out the best of Denver, she would send a smiley note to every single winner, you know, signed with a little patch, wrote her smiley note. You can still see those notes around town. I was going to say, I feel like Representative DeGette then sort of followed her lead. She did. Because I remember uh, it, Rhinoceropolis, every time they would win one, they had this letter from Diana DeGette hanging up on the wall at the warehouse. And that was really a, a Pat Schroeder thing. And I know that DeGette really looked to to Pat Schroeder as a as somebody to emulate and, and lead. And I love this this thought, this this picture you're painting of her office, because today I think about all the women we have representing Denver. That's how most of their offices operate. It's just par for the course that you would be accessible to your constituents. But you're saying before Pat, that wasn't necessarily how representatives connected at all with their constituency. No, it wasn't. She was very close to the ground. I mean, she had a very grassroots campaign in 72. And then she always was close to the people when she was campaigning. She would be she was accessible to us. We started Westward five years after she was elected, first elected. And I remember we were doing a guilty pleasure issue. I've been looking for it all day, late 70s. And she came in and displayed her guilty pleasure. She was on our cover eating a Snickers bar. <laughs> that was her guilty pleasure, which for Pat Schroeder, you kind of believe because she was very wholesome at the same time. She was so smart. She was so witty. And then she signed everything with a smiley face. She was one of a kind. But I can see also this is like pre-social media. We're thinking about the power of acting or of being yourself for the public. And I, I imagine a woman congresswoman eating a Snickers bar on the cover of an alternative weekly paper is not something you would necessarily see. That was a surprise. And that same year, she went to China and she was at the Great Wall on Easter and she wore a bunny suit. This is a congresswoman in a bunny suit at the Great Wall of China, which made quite the splash, as you can imagine. But that's the kind of individual we like here. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. 
It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, house plants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. So in your 1998 piece on Schroeder, you talked about how even other women, and you kind of mentioned this, uh, other women politicians told her she couldn't raise kids and serve in Congress. And I know you interviewed her many times. I, what, was she, what was she like? She just sounds like a badass. She was fierce and she was funny. And that's mostly what she was fierce about, what she believed in. She was fierce about her family. She was fierce about rights. I mean, during Tailhook, when you had women in the armed services. What's Tailhook? Tailhook was the big scandal about a, it was a Navy party, I think. And women were abused (gasps) as they went through the hotel hallway. Do you remember that? And some were sexually assaulted and it wound up going to Congress. And it was one of the first big stories about just how bad the armed services were towards women, women. both, you know, whether they were enlisted, enlisted or outside. So she led some very, very tough hearings. So she's a woman in Congress dealing with something that's really for the first time coming to the forefront, which is right. now that was that was further into her tenure. But she would bring up those tricky things early on and you'd have these good old boys essentially patting her on the head. But she just kept pushing. You know, I want to talk about her legislative record. She's known as a champion of women's rights. And I wonder, how did she earn that reputation in particular? But like around I'm thinking about feminism in the 70s and and how it got us where we are today. But she's at the beginnings of this. Right. I mean, think about it. The ERA was so controversial and was just coming out then. She just kept pushing. She had hearings. She worked with other powerful women. I mean, she talked about Gloria Steinem. I think Ms. Magazine had probably started in 70, 72. But she she worked with everyone she possibly could to push for women's rights. And then by example, she obviously showed you could do a great job. And her constituency loved her. Yeah, I think about that so much because my mom grew up here. um, And, you know, she was a teen in early 20s in the 70s. And I've Pat Schroeder was everything to her. Like she is, she was like that first sort of, not rock star politician, but this politician that women could look to and like, this is the person that represents me. You know, the stuff she did. That's what I want to talk about. So in, in 2020, Coloradans voted to create paid family medical leave. But Pat Schroeder's legacy with family leave started way before that. What it? What is her role? Well, she was pushing it back in Congress, pushing about thinking about it, pushing about equal pay, pushing about some level of family leave, certainly not what Colorado has gotten to now. But she never stopped pushing for those rights, understanding that people could have a family and could work. And you had to make those two things work together. Because pre-family leave, I'm thinking about like you, you could basically lose your job if you were pregnant. Like you couldn't 
be pregnant and work. You couldn't have the time off. Even at that time, right. I know it was minimal that she pushed for, but at least it was just, something. Yeah, you wouldn't lose your job because being pregnant was such a liability at that point. Do you think Colorado would be as progressive of a place or as good for women and, and people around uh, when we talk about reproductive health care without Pat Schroeder? She certainly had allies when I said Dick Lamb, for example, with a very strong wife, Dottie Lamb, who is still involved in politics. I mean, she's working, I think, with Leslie Harrod. But Pat really pushed it in a way and was embraced by Denver in a way that I think made this city more progressive faster, especially when you think about things like women's rights. Um, Not kind of the progressive causes you often hear about in the mayor's race, but just being fair to people. That was new in in politics. And certainly in some places in Denver, she embodied what a lot of the city wanted to be as we suddenly grew in the 70s and 80s. I can't believe we don't have like Pat Schroeder Street. How is this not a thing? Well, if I'm remembering right, you're not allowed to name oh. a building basically after a living politician unless you have a special exemption. I was going like to say, the we, Wellington have a web, web building. we have a web building. And Pena had to be a street because you couldn't do a building. So maybe we so could. We, maybe we need to look that up, but that we don't have a Pat Schroeder. Yeah. Anything is crazy. And what's also interesting about her, she went on to become head of an American Publishers Trade Association. So she believed so strongly in the First Amendment. So she was about all kinds of rights. Wow. Not necessarily Second Amendment rights, but all kinds of other rights. That's amazing. So at one point, there was talk of of Pat running for president. This was in 1987 after Colorado Senator Gary Hart pulled out of the race. Looking back on that, what do you think about what do you think about it now? Now she would be a fabulous candidate. Think about Pat, you know, circa, well, 18. Let's see. She was probably 15 years then into Congress. And Gary Hart, she'd been a strong supporter of Gary Hart, was very disappointed with the whole monkey business issue that had Hart leaving the race. And she went to Civic Center and announced that she was not going to be running for president. And she was mocked soundly around the country for crying, Mm. you know, and I don't think the country was ready. Clearly, they weren't ready in 1987 if she was going to be mocked for crying. I mean, now people love politicians who cry if they're men. (laughs) That's a good point. Well, also, and I know that um, she caught some blowback from feminists after she cried and leaned her head against her husband's shoulder, which now uh, as feminists, we've evolved to talk more about mental health and just being ourselves and in in public. And but it's so interesting to me that she almost couldn't please everybody, but she was trying to do the best that she could for Right. Well, think about it. That's the late 80s and how people feel about women. You know, you just had the first Donna Rice was the woman who'd been on the monkey business and was vilified. You know, it wasn't Gary Hart was vilified, too. But Donna Donna Rice really took it. And you think about Monica Lewinsky 10 years later. And I think that had just come up when I talked to Pat Schroeder. And this is not the woman's fault in a lot of cases. I mean, that was a workplace harassment issue with Monica Lewinsky. But that here was Pat Schroeder. She was in Denver Civic Center. She was at the heart of her district. She was overcome. Who wouldn't be? Right. So that was just really showing how we were taking things as symbols and not really dealing with the person herself because her political career is really strong. As we say goodbye to Pat, what else do you think people need to know or how would you want her, how would you want Pat Schroeder to be remembered by folks who are just learning about her? Well, certainly that she was so smart, 
so on the cutting edge of the right issues to be smart about, but that she was also so human that she was funny. I mean, the title of her book, 24 Years of Housework and the Place is Still a Mess, I think that's what it was close to. She was just plain funny and accessible and and honest. I think those are all qualities we would like to see continue in politicians right now. Yeah, I, I really see her as an archetype for the type of politician that I've come to understand as like the person that represents me. And I just... I. I, I mean, I had a kid less than two years ago. My life would be so different if we didn't have Pat Schroeder saying, you don't you don't have to lose your job because you want to have a family and be a professional person in the world. That's so incredible. And given her lead, I mean, so in the 70s, how popular she was, probably the most popular politician in Colorado, that we haven't had a female senator yet. We haven't had a female governor. She could have done either of those things. But one of the great things about Pat is she was so dedicated to her district and to trying to change Congress that she was content where she was to fight from there. She knew she knew who she she knew her people. She knew where she could make a difference, although she could have made a difference as a senator and certainly in the governor's office. Patty, thank you so much for for sharing these thoughts and these memories with Pat. My pleasure. And I'll look for that Snickers bar picture and bring it in. Yes, please do. We would love to share it. Thank you. Thanks. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Beer-flavored popsicles. In honor of March Madness, Molson Coors is debuting Coorsicles, otter pop-style icy treats that taste like, well, Coors Light. The Denver Post reports that the limited edition product is non-alcoholic, but intended for the over-21 crowd, I guess. If you're dying to try a frozen non-alcoholic brew, they will be available during March Madness at select bars across the country, just not at Ball Arena March 17th through the 19th when the tournament makes a stop in Denver. Speaking of basketball, the controversy surrounding Memphis Grizzlies point guard John Morant and his recent stop in Denver continues. Earlier this month, Morant was seen on Instagram Live waving a gun around in what appeared to be Glendale's own shotgun willies. While the Glendale police have said they are not pursuing criminal charges, my fave Instagrammer's Denver Foos posted a clip of former Bronco Shannon Sharp analyzing this sports highlight the way only he could. Skip, you know Denver, that's my old stopping ground. I know. Shotgun willies right there. Right there in Colorado. Now, here's the thing, Skip, because down they were playing like downtown, uh, and so he bypassed the Diamond Cabaret. They got a great steak at the cabaret. Ooh. Went to Shotgun Willie's on Colorado Boulevard. There used to be one right behind it called Mile High Saloon. And right down the street where we used to go, Skip, was a club called Jimmy's. Huh. Had a great time. I heard that. I saw it on the travel brochure. I don't know anything about these places. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Shannon Sharp about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Oh my God, that would be the sickest pitch. (laughs) Shannon Sharp, come on my show and talk about your fave Denver strip clubs.